Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. I'll use the universal greeting. Universal greeting? Watch, I'll have an idiot out of my hand. Ba weep grana weep ninny bong. Ba weep grana weep ninny bong. Ba weep grana weep ninny See, the universal greeting works every time. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 133, The Transformers, the movie. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. Happy New Year to you all. Welcome back to Verbal Diorama. Ba weep, grana, weep, ninny bong to you all. That is the universal greeting. Whether you are a regular returning listener or a brand new listener to this podcast, you are just so wonderful and amazing for you to be here. Basically, no matter how you're here, I'm so grateful that you are here because there are a lot of movie podcasts in the world and I'm so grateful that you've chosen to spend your new year with me and with Animation Season 2022. This is the third annual animation season. This is something that I really love to do because animation is one of my favourite things to talk about, mainly because I get to geek out on animation and really the main principles of animation season and of this podcast in general. Some the mantras of this podcast are that animation is not a genre. Animation can encompass any genre of film, but it's not a genre in its own right. It's a medium. And also that animation is not just for children. And this is something that it's kind of one of my pet peeves and it's something that tends to wind me up probably more than it should. Firstly, obviously, the animation is not a genre thing. That kind of tends to wind me up quite a lot. But also that people dismiss animation as a medium that's just for children. And don't get me wrong, there are some fantastic animated children's movies out there. There are some fantastic animated family movies out there. But there are also some fantastic animated movies that are not for children. 
that are in no way aimed at children. I've covered quite a few of them on this podcast, actually. And one of the reasons that I love to do animation season is I really love to talk about all of these different animated movies. I like to talk about different studios. I like to talk about different filmmakers. I don't just want to focus on Disney and Pixar because everyone talks about Disney and Pixar. So the first movie that I wanted to talk about in this season was the Transformers the movie for so many reasons, mostly because I really do feel like this movie is a landmark in animation history completely. So really, I can't wait to get into talking about Transformers and the history of Transformers because it is a very, very varied history. But before I do, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who listened to the episodes that came out around Christmas. And I'm talking about the Christmas episodes, the Thor movies. I'm talking about those. I just got such an amazing reception to those Thor movies, especially to Thor Ragnarok, which I had a guest host on for, the amazing Sam from Movie Reviews in 20 Qs. We had such a blast talking about Thor Ragnarok. That came out just before Christmas. And also just before Christmas, there were two additional episodes. I did an episode on Krampus and an episode on Klaus. And basically my idea was that if you were on the naughty list, you got Krampus. And if you were on the nice list, you got Klaus. And it turns out that way more people were on the nice list than on the naughty list. <laughs> because Klaus just blew me away on downloads, genuinely. There were so many downloads for Klaus. And really, Klaus is the unofficial start to this animation season. I really just want to jump straight into the Transformers the movie or Transformers the movie, whatever you want to call it. Officially, it's called the Transformers the movie. I'll probably call it both, to be completely honest with you. So the Transformers the movie is the first movie that I'm going to be talking about this animation season. And this is a movie that traumatised children in 1986. And all just so Hasbro could sell some new toys. Here's the trailer. Hold on tight. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark guns. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. Leonard Nimoy as... Galvatron. And Orson Welles. I am the Unicron. Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Transformers, the movie. to a theatre near you this August. It's the year 2005. The battle between the Autobots and the Decepticons has escalated through their homeworld Cybertron, which the Decepticons have conquered. Without Optimus Prime, after a battle with Megatron on Earth takes his life, the Autobots must face a destiny which they know nothing about. Megatron and a group of forsaken Decepticons have been reformed by the ultimate Transformer, a planet-consuming demon known as Unicron, into even deadlier warriors. 
Galvatron, Scourge and Cycloness must destroy the Autobot Matrix of Leadership for Unicron's glory or suffer the horrific destruction of Cybertron. However, Optimus Prime has decreed that an Autobot will rise from his rank and use the power of the Matrix to light the darkest hour of the Autobots. With Hot Rod facing responsibility for Prime's death, he feels he may be able to use the power of the Matrix to turn the tide of the Cybertronian Wars and stop Unicron. Until all are one, the future of the Autobots and the Decepticons is uncertain. Let's go through the incredibly stacked cast for a 1986 animated movie of a TV show. We have Orson Welles as Unicron, Robert Stack as Ultra Magnus, Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron, Judd Nelson as Hot Rod, aka Rodimus Prime, Eric Idle as Retgar, Lionel Stander as Cup, Casey Kasem as Cliffjumper, John Moshita as Blur, Scatman Crothers as Jazz, and obviously we also have Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime and Ironhide, and Frank Welker as Megatron, Soundwave, Rumble, Frenzy, Wheelie and Junkion. The Transformers the Movie has a screenplay by Ron Friedman, is directed by Nelson Shin, and is based on The Transformers by Hasbro and Takara. Now, I'm not being cynical when I tell you that this was a movie designed to sell more toys. It really was. It's a $6 million advertisement for a completely new batch of Transformers. It's not the first movie designed to sell toys to kids, and it certainly won't be the last. But our story starts in 1983, and a company I'm sure you know because they're pretty synonymous with 80s toys, Hasbro. Hasbro started out as Hassenfeld Brothers in 1923, founded by Herman, Hillel and Henry Hassenfeld, selling textile remnants. They moved into pencil cases and modelling clay before venturing into the toy field with doctor and nurse kits. In 1942, they became primarily a toy company, purchasing Mr Potato Head from George Lerner in 1952 and becoming a licensee for Disney in 1954. In 1964, both Helen and Henry had died in previous years, Henry's son Merrill Hassenfeld became president. They had introduced Flubber the previous year to an investigation on the safety of the product, and they hoped their new toy, G.I. Joe, would turn the business around. G.I. Joe was a huge success, and in 1968, they officially became Hasbro Industries. G.I. Joe was revived after a series of PR disasters for the company in 1982 in a smaller 9.5 centimeter mini version. And you might think, why is she talking about G.I. Joe? Where are the Transformers in this story? Well, Hasbro licensed Japanese company Takara in 1974 to distribute G.I. Joe in Japan. This line, Combat Joe, was made to look more mechanical, moulded in clear plastic with exposed innards to show the cybernetics of the characters. These were called Henshin Cyborg, aka Transforming Cyborg, and marketed as Microman. This range was licensed back to the US as Micronauts. Microman evolved into the Diaclone line of toys. Both ranges were designed by Kojin Ono, which included robots that could quickly transform into contemporary cars, a segment engineered by Hideaki Yoki, as well as from dinosaurs, aka Dinobots. In fact, most of the Transformers lineup we know and love can be traced back to Diaclone. Bear in mind that all of this came from Hasbro's G.I. Joe, which had been licensed to Takara. Takara then licensed the Microman and Diaclone lines back to Hasbro in 1984, and they simply took the Henshin name, and this became Transformers. But it wasn't enough just to have transforming robots, because sure, kids would find that fun, but Hasbro wanted backstories, characters, and good versus evil. 
the second best way to do this, a comic book series. And who do you go for comic books in the 80s? Marvel, of course. A four-issue limited series was commissioned, which spawned multiple ongoing series. And it was Bob Budiansky who was tasked by editor-in-chief Jim Shooter with not only writing the comics, but also creating names, character traits and biographies for most of the original Transformers lineup, including Ratchet, Starscream, Sideswipe and Megatron. He can't take the credit for Optimus Prime, though. That goes to his colleague Dennis O'Neill, who was originally tasked with the work, but when Hasbro requested revisions, O'Neill refused and Budiansky stepped up. Only four human beings have ever been inducted into the Transformers Hall of Fame. Kojin Ono, Hideaki Yoki, Bob Budiansky and Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime. The first best way to get kids interested in toy lines in the 80s was, of course, an animated TV series, which was developed in conjunction with the comic book. Hasbro had worked with Marvel Productions to develop an animated series for G.I. Joe in 1983 in a similar three-pronged attack. Toys comics and a TV show. The success of G.I. Joe paved the way for the same marketing ploy for Transformers in a co-production between Marvel and Sunbow Productions with animation produced by Toei Animation. The good guy Autobots and the evil Decepticons would be warring robots who could transform into something else. A robot in disguise, you might say. This idea was definitely more than meets the eye. Ba-dum-tsh. The toy line, though, suffered a potential setback when six months before Transformers hit toy shelves, GoBots came out. They were less intricate, more simple and cheaper, which obviously appealed to parents. Tonka had beaten Hasbro to the market. The GoBots line sold well. Transformers released and both competed for a short time, with even a GoBots Hanna-Barbera cartoon series debuting in 1984. But GoBots struggled to compete with the might of Transformers. Hasbro would eventually take over Tonka in 1991. Two seasons of Transformers were produced, and then in between seasons two and three, there was the Transformers the movie. Set 20 years after the second season, in a futuristic 2005, but the movie wasn't there to serve any sort of narrative purpose, or even to please the fans, of which by this point, Transformers toys and comic books were flying off shelves. Hasbro wanted a product refresh, out with the old toys and characters and in with the new, because obviously you want kids, or their parents, to buy new toys. They didn't want kids to just be happy with the ones they have. The TV series had featured no character deaths up to this point, and all of this served as a huge TV commercial. You couldn't just retire Transformers to the happy robot care home back on Cybertron. You had to kill them off. So Hasbro ordered screenwriter Ron Friedman to essentially massacre these childhood favourites and replace the likes of Ratchet, Prowl and Optimus Prime with Cup, Blur and Rodimus Prime. On paper, it was a simple, and this robot dies, and then this one. But in practice, using your $6 million toy ad to massacre beloved characters, unsurprisingly, did not go down too well. The characters did have an ally in Ron Friedman, who was a seasoned writer on the TV show. He knew these characters. He knew kids probably wouldn't bother with a death or two, but there was one character he knew could not die, and that was Optimus Prime. Hasbro, though, were insistent. Prime had to go, but Friedman advised strongly against it. Optimus was the father figure of the group, the voice of reason, the hero. He was the father of not just the Autobots, but millions of children across the world who looked up to the character's honour, warmth and truth. It would be the defining moment of many a childhood 
the where were you when Optimus Prime died moment for millions of children watching in the cinema on VHS or later on DVD and Blu-ray. But despite the death of Optimus Prime being quite graphic and quite upsetting, there was originally going to be a hell of a lot more graphic death in this movie. Ultra Magnus was going to be drawn and quartered and have his limbs ripped from his body by the sweeps. This sequence was storyboarded but never included in the finished movie. Additionally, a group of Autobots, outnumbered by Decepticons, was going to charge into the Decepticons and be slaughtered, wiping out every character and the entire Generation 1 product line in one fell swoop. And if that wasn't bad enough, the deaths were going to be much more graphic and more plentiful than they actually were. And this is despite the fact that Starscream got blasted so much he turned to ash. Prowl's shot in the chest caused fire and smoke to bellow from his eyes and mouth. But nothing, nothing compared to mortally wounded Optimus Prime dying on an operating table, the matrix of leadership falling from his hands and his bright, memorable red and blue colour scheme fading to grey. This was an idea by director Nelson Shin to show Optimus's spirit leaving his body one last time. Now, of course, you all know, <laughs> I assume, that Optimus Prime was resurrected in the TV series because they realised they'd made a terrible mistake by killing this beloved character. And Optimus returns from the dead twice in the continuing season three of the TV show. First as a zombie under quintessent control in Dark Awakening as part of a plan to destroy the Autobots, only to die again when he overcomes the quintessent control using the Matrix. He then sacrifices himself to save the Autobots. His second resurrection occurs when he's brought to life again to battle the hate plague in The Return of Optimus Prime. Optimus would die and come back to life again several times in the comics, the TV series and the live action movies. With a budget six times greater than the equivalent of 90 minutes of the TV series, there were considerable time constraints on the animation staff who were producing the TV show concurrently with the movie at Toei Animation, leading to Toei Vice President Kozo Morishita spending a year in the US during production, supervising the art direction and ensuring the finished product met with his standards. He insisted on a more dynamic and detailed appearance for the characters than the TV show would offer. And as I said, this is a movie with some big name cast. These are big name actors in the 80s, like Leonard Nimoy, Eric Idle and Orson Welles. Orson Welles, in his final performance as well, he would die reportedly five days after recording his lines as Unicron on the 10th of October 1985. It's said that his voice was so weak that technicians needed to run his recordings through a synthesizer to salvage them. Wells started his career on Citizen Kane and finished it with a Transformers the movie. And I'm pretty certain you can agree that they are literally movies that are two sides of the same coin. Scatman Crothers, who also provided the voice of jazz for the TV show, would also pass away several months after the film's release. And his role as jazz would be his second to last film performance. But really, one actor who is seriously missing from this movie is Keanu Reeves. And so this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves in the obligatory Keanu reference. Now, I've thought long and hard about this one, genuinely, because I really wanted to get a good one. And I've ended up with two. And one of them I just really, really wanted to say. So I'm going to go with that one first. And that is that Keanu Reeves is more than meets the eye. because. Obviously, this is a man who is easy on the eye, but also a really lovely person. You never expect the hot guy to be kind and gracious and hospitable. No word yet on whether he's a robot in disguise, but 
one hopes not. But really, the main obligatory Keanu reference is that De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, who produced this movie and got into quite dire financial straits because of this movie, as I'm going to come to, but they also co-produced Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So that is a link between Transformers and Keanu Reeves. That's probably the best link that I'm going to get, to be honest. One of the things Transformers the movie is most known for, apart from its character deaths, is its music. The Stan Bush song, The Touch, is forever associated with this movie, despite not being written for it. It was originally written for the Sylvester Stallone movie Cobra and also featured in Boogie Nights, sung by Mark Wahlberg's character Dirk Diggler. And Wahlberg will go on to star in the later live-action Transformers movies as Cade Yeager. Stan Bush also wrote the song Dare for the soundtrack, which includes music by NRG, Kickaxe, credited as Spectre General due to legal complications, and also Weird Al Yankovic is on this soundtrack. So it's a pretty eclectic soundtrack, to be honest. It's very much an 80s rock soundtrack. It's one of those things you would never associate this particular soundtrack with this movie had they not been together since 1986, if you know my meaning. The Transformers the movie was made as part of an agreement with the fledgling distribution company De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, or DEG, with both this movie and Hasbro's other attempt at an animated toy movie, My Little Pony the Movie. My Little Pony would be released two months prior to Transformers. DEG would be $16.5 million in debt by August 1987 and would end up being acquired by Carol Co. Pictures in 1989. So I think you know where I'm going with this because My Little Pony the movie didn't do particularly well and neither did this movie. The Transformers the movie would be released on the 8th of August 1986 in the US and only managed to hit number 13 in the box office with $2.8 million in its first week. That week, The Magnificent Aliens, that's episode 114 of this podcast, and it is one of my favourite episodes of last year, by the way. Aliens dominated after four weeks in the charts at number one. Also out at the time, The Karate Kid Part 2, Top Gun, Flight of the Navigator. Howard the Duck is even in the charts higher than Transformers. Also out that week was One Crazy Summer and Fine Mess, both of which broke into the top 10, but I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't say, I do not know what either of those movies actually are, but I do know what Transformers the movie is. Basically, you could say it was a very crowded summer. Previous episodes 110 on Labyrinth and 85, Big Trouble in Little China, both came out in the summer of 1986. And technically, both of those struggled as well. Financially, the Transformers the movie would end up grossing $5.8 million against its $6 million production budget, making it the 99th highest grossing film of 1986 and also a bit of a financial failure. With the financial failures of the Transformers movie and My Little Pony, Hasbro ended up losing $10 million and this also ensured that G.I. Joe the movie, which was in production at the same time, ended up going straight to video and bypassing a theatrical release completely because they didn't want to have another theatrical failure. Critically, this is a movie, like many that fail on its initial release, that has since become a cult classic over time. It's had a remastering. It's been re-released several times for VHS, Betamax, Laserdisc, DVD, Blu-ray and Ultra HD Blu-ray across multiple anniversary editions. I have the 30th anniversary edition on Blu-ray. The 1987 VHS release remained on the billboard top kid video sales top 25 chart 
for at least 40 weeks. So this was, and still remains, a very popular movie on home release. It's been screened again theatrically multiple times, including a one-night-only screening in the US in 2018, which 750 movie theatres took part in. But as I said, this is still a 90-minute toy ad, so critics' opinions were reasonably scathing at the time. Recent years and the power of nostalgia have been kinder, but even Leonard Maltin gave it the lowest possible rating that he could, which of course he did. This is the guy who didn't like Gremlins, so of course he did. Obviously, there was no official sequel to this movie because, as I said, it didn't do very well, but the TV show would continue. The fifth season of the Transformers TV show included the movie, which was split into five parts called Days. It was given new bookending segments with original story material, as Optimus tells the story to young Daniel Witwicky. Obviously, there have been countless new shows, as well as comic book runs featuring the Autobots and the Decepticons. And I guess I have to mention the live action movies. I actually watched the 2007 movie for this podcast, and it's okay. It's certainly the best of a bad bunch, and I don't even include Bumblebee in that. I'm just talking about the Transformers movies with the Transformers name in the title. They are very much mindless exposition and explosions, very typically Michael Bay, and that's no slight on Michael Bay. If you like the sort of thing that he does, then it's very Michael Bay. I actually don't think I've seen the most recent Transformers movie. I know it did ridiculous numbers at the box office, though. I did, however, love Bumblebee, and if any other Transformers movie ends up on this podcast, it will be Bumblebee, because it's lovely. Obviously, the other movies have their fans. Like I say, they make billions at the box office, but they're not really anything to be invested in. Not like this movie. The Transformers, the movie I'm talking about, not Bumblebee. But yeah, get invested in Bumblebee, because it's awesome. But this movie, I feel like you get invested in. You don't really get invested in the live-action ones, but maybe that's just me. Right, let's move over to some social media thoughts. We're going to go to the patrons. We're going to go to Twitter. Instagram and Facebook because I like to know what people think and we're going to start with the patrons of this podcast and we're going to start with of course we're going to start with Andy and Andy says first I need to get this off my chest since my first season of Transformers the movie was a bit of a blur I legitimately thought that the touch was originally written for Boogie Nights with that said I can't imagine how the Transformers the movie would have been received in the age of the internet how many complaints would there be that the core and heart of the Autobots team was killed within the first 45 minutes of the film, only to make way for new toy characters, totally meant to say characters. <laughs> the film itself is a lot of fun though, it took the risks that nobody thought a major toy franchise would take. The animation, a step up from the television series, still holds up, and if nothing else, it's still a thousand times more enjoyable and entertaining than the Bayformers series, Bumblebee excluded of course. Which, obviously, I totally agree with. And Andy is obviously the host of the podcast Geek Salad. It is the podcast to go to for all of your geeky, nerdy, dorky needs. Basically, anything geek is on Geek Salad. So I'll put some information in the show notes. Please check out Geek Salad. We also have a Patreon comment from Derek. And Derek says, I haven't seen it since I was a little boy and I sure did love it. Transformers are the reason I've been interested in AI robot narratives my whole life. I hope this one ages like a fine wine and is more than meets the eye. I see what you did there, Derek. And it is more than meets the eye because it's a lot of fun, actually, this movie to rewatch. And Derek, along with his wife, Laurel, they host the amazing podcast, which is The Midnight Myth. They basically look at history, philosophy and mythology and how that translates to modern pop culture. I will put information in the show notes for The Midnight Myth. Absolutely, you should listen to them. They are awesome. 
We also have a picture coming from Mark who says, My mum tells the story of six-year-old me wailing inconsolably on the way out of the cinema and getting stares like she'd been beating me the first time I dealt with death in a way. Which I can imagine is very much the scenario of many parents and children coming out of the cinema in 1986. Mark is one of the hosts of 100 Things I Learned From Film. It basically does what it says on the tin. They want to find 100 things from a particular film and each episode they try and find 100 things that they learn from that film. It's a really fun podcast and I'll put information in the show notes for them as well. And the final patron comment is from Emily and she says, Oh my goodness, I love this movie even though I watched it for the first time a few years ago. It's spectacular and exciting and also Hot Rod sucks and everyone knows it, but seriously beautiful animation, amazing voice actors and brilliant action scenes. Unforgettable. And I think that's kind of the point. It is unforgettable. And I think that's why this movie has endured so long because it is genuinely very unforgettable. Emily also has a podcast. Her podcast is called I Drink Your Podcast. It's basically all about movies that came out in 2007. It's a lot of fun. I have actually been on that podcast. To be fair, every single podcast I've mentioned, (laughs) the patron comments I've been on. So make sure you find the episodes that I've been on for all of these podcasts. But absolutely, you should listen to I Drink Your Podcast. I will put some information in the show notes for Emily and for I Drink Your Podcast, so you can check out that and check out all of the Patreon podcasts this week. Moving over to Twitter, we're going to start with at Vincent Asher, who said, This screamed the 80s. It really did make a defining moment in the Transformers history, death of classic characters and a change in dynamic of the series. My favourite is still the Dinobots. Nothing funnier than the Triceratops saying, excuse me, after squishing an enemy. At Not That Bad Cast said, This was gutting. Daniel crying, the Vince DiCola score, the slight weakness in RC's voice, Cup sounding gruffer than ever. Yeah, I'm still not over this. I could go on for days about this movie. At one point, I had it memorised. At Nicolas Kitchen. Oh, Nicholas. Nicholas says, One of the worst movies I've ever seen is literally vomited using visual noise, the movie. The animation is so bad, even by mid-80s standards, that it's barely watchable. Better soundtrack than it has any right to have, though. I'll give it that. At Harry Met Movies said, This was heartbreaking. In the newer ones, when he died again, I was like, don't do this to me again, goddamn you. Thankfully, he was brought back, but the original was just too much for any child. At Needed Road said, Saw this as a kid and it destroyed me before I learned later the whole film was a rip on Galactus and the FF with Unicron. Still, it had swearing, Orson Welles, and You've Got the Touch. Why have we not had this in live action? Well, we did. It was the one that Michael Bay decided to do. (laughs) That's the best Transformers live-action movie we're ever going to get, unfortunately. At Thief CGT said, Oh boy, weird story, but I heard the film before seeing it. My brother got a hold of a cassette tape with the whole film recorded, so I listened to it day and night, learned the dialogue and songs by heart. When the first video rental stores opened in my hometown, that was my first rental. Loved it. My adult self realises it's nothing more than a toy line cash grab, but I still think it's a well-executed cash grab. At Phil the Bear said, You've got the touch and bar weep, gra na weep, ninny bong are its greatest of many great moments. At Dazza Loves Movie said, A true cult movie for many kids of the 80s that refused to grow out of it when we should have. Yes, it was made purely to push a new range of toys, but the soundtrack, fast action and shock of watching so many of our favourites die before our eyes made it so much more. 
That initial slaughter of Prowl, Brawn, Ratchet and Ironhide kicked us in the teeth and set the tone for a massacre of our favourites. Even Starscream finally get his. I say recut the film to include those never animated storyboarded scenes that would have seen even more deaths. At Betamax Pod said, Oh God, that film still makes me well up. I saw it at the time. Only cynical older me realised it was an excuse to sell new, worse toys. What a good punch. Love it. At 30 Podcast said, When we did this one back about five years ago, you never saw so many tears from a group of grown men reminiscing about the death of Optimus Prime. Our thoughts can be summed up with Bar Weep Grana Weep Ninny Bong. At AYUMPP said, I was six and my dad took me to the cinema to see it. Until my early mid-thirties, it was one of only two films to make me cry. At Jonathan Blade said, This is the movie that made me turn to my buddy as we were leaving the theatre and say, You never know how much somebody means to you until they're gone. I haven't watched a movie from end to end since 86, but this has to be the most effective toy commercial of that year. At Shahir Daud said, I rented this from a video store, then put the cassette recorder up to the TV and recorded the whole movie so I could listen to it over and over again. I labelled the cassette, The Touch. And uh, Jonathan Blake came back and said, Man, 80s film soundtrack themes were ridiculously epic. So many comments over on Twitter. I genuinely could not believe the amount of comments I got on Twitter. Moving over to Instagram, we have at English by Stephen, who said, I was in the next theatre over being held hostage with the Care Bears. But I do hope you finally got to see the Transformers movie. No thoughts over on Facebook, but thank you so much to everyone who took the time to give comments on Transformers the movie because I kind of figured that this would be a movie that a lot of people would want to reminisce about and talk about, but genuinely didn't expect the number of comments that I got. So thank you so much for your comments on the Transformers the movie. There's something profoundly amusing, in a way, about a movie so aimed at children being actually more than meets the eye, and I mean that in many ways. Because parents took kids to see this, expecting a long-form TV show. Hasbro expected this to sell a completely new range of toys. Kids, well, did not expect to have to deal with grief and death at such a young age. But animation has never been an exclusive medium for children. It can't all be sunshine and rainbows. And despite the fact that Hasbro had dubious reasons for killing off their characters, this is actually an important lesson to learn, that sometimes the good guys don't always win that death is inevitable during times of war and the guilt that can come from it, but also that redemption does exist. This is genuinely nothing more than a feature-length commercial for a new range of toys. And yet, it also introduced kids to adult themes, to a swear word, to the fact that sometimes the good guys lose. And that's really important because we are so used to good guys winning and bad guys losing, but the real world doesn't care if you're good or bad. I never watched this as a kid. I watch it as an adult with the full knowledge of Optimus Prime's death. Just because it's one of those things that you just know from like the lexicon of life. My five-year-old nephew loves this movie. He watched this movie and he understood immediately that Optimus had died and that the bad guys did it. I mean, luckily, <laughs> I think luckily for me as his auntie, he wasn't traumatised. Like, he watches the new Prime cartoon, so he knows what happens. He knows that Optimus lives. But there's almost an innocence to the death of Optimus Prime and also the destruction ravaged by Unicron. This is such an important movie to the fans of this franchise. Its availability on VHS over the TV series meant that most kids saw this movie over the TV show and this was what they shared with their friends. You heard it from the commenters above. They actually 
taped this movie on cassette and they listened to it and they shared it because that's what kids did in the 80s and 90s. That's what I did (laughs) with movies, especially with songs from movies. I held a tape recorder up to the screen and I recorded songs of The Lion King and Aladdin because that was the only way you could get recordings of these songs. So this does feel like such a landmark of animation because the central characters and MacGuffins in this movie, like Unicron and the Matrix of Leadership, are now central to the mythos of Transformers. This is a deeply emotional experience that's embedded itself into generations, multiple generations of fans. The children that watch this movie are now parents themselves and they're introducing this movie to their children. And this is regardless of whether the parent started out with the toys, the show or the movie or the comic. Hasbro, for their part, have expressed regret at killing Optimus Prime. However, that was actually a bit of a blessing in disguise for this movie because this movie ended up telling a much more emotionally impactful and sophisticated story than had Optimus Prime's death not occurred. And arguably, you could say perhaps this movie wouldn't be so important today if Optimus hadn't died. There's going to be a movie further on in this season which also deals with death and war. And honestly, I'm not even sure I can sit through it again and watch it because it devastates me so much. I can imagine that's how kids in 1986 felt when they watched this movie. But the Transformers, the movie, is a movie that people love so much. You can just tell by the number of comments. It's so fondly remembered, despite that childhood trauma. It's a movie that you can introduce to young children now like my nephew, and they will enjoy it and they will get something out of it. This is peak nostalgia, peak where were you culture. But mostly, as I said, this is a landmark in animation. This may have just been there to sell toys, but it got people talking. And people still talk about it today. And that is the power of animation right there. To go back to the greatest movie ever made, which is The Mummy, 1999, by the way, The Mummy has a quote, and that quote is, death is only the beginning. And I certainly feel like that is the case for this movie. The Optimus Prime's death was the catalyst to make this movie so much better than had that death not occurred. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on the Transformers, the movie. If you have enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to help Verbal Diorama grow and be noticed by others by doing one of the following things. So what you could do is you can retweet or like posts on social media. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. I am at Verbal Diorama on all of those platforms, so I'm really, really easy to find. You can find me on there, you can follow me on there, and you can basically like, retweet, share, whatever you want to do with the posts that I put up, um, and that helps other people to find the podcast. You can also leave a rating or review anywhere you find this podcast. The best places to go are Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You can also leave ratings on Spotify now as well. If someone's trying to find the podcast on an app and they see it's got no reviews, then they might think, oh, I don't really want to bother with that. But if it's got like, I don't know, 50 five-star reviews, then they might think, oh, that podcast is clearly really cool. I might want to listen to it. So that would be a really huge help as well. The easiest thing you can do is literally, if you've got a friend or a family member who loved the Transformers movie when they were a kid and they've seen it so many times and they really want to know where it came from and how it came about, then send them a link to this episode. 
Just tell your friends and family about this podcast, about the other 133 episodes. There's all sorts of movies in the repertoire of this podcast. And there's quite a lot of animated movies as well. Um, And a lot of podcasts don't tend to focus on animation unless they are an animation podcast. I like to do a bit of both. I like to do the live action stuff, but I also really love to focus on the animation as well. And there are some great animated movies that I featured so far on this podcast. And basically, if you do enjoy the Transformers the movie, then you might also like one of the following previous episodes of this podcast. And it's really hard to recommend an episode like the Transformers the movie because I don't really have anything that I've covered on the podcast that's like the Transformers the movie. But the closest ones that I could think of were episode 17, The Iron Giant. Because The Iron Giant is basically a big robot and it's also a movie with a lot of heart. It's a very emotional movie as well. It genuinely makes me sob every time I watch it. It's a beautiful movie. It's by Brad Bird and it's genuinely one of those movies that you must see. So please check out The Iron Giant if you have not seen it. It is available on Netflix here in the UK. So please check out The Iron Giant and listen to that episode. And the other one I could think of was episode 80, which is Ghost in the Shell. That's more of a cyborg, really, than a robot. But there's a lot of interesting themes in Ghost in the Shell. A lot of modern movies took inspiration from Ghost in the Shell. I'm talking about movies like The Matrix. I know the Wachowskis have acknowledged that they took some inspiration from Ghost in the Shell. So you will find a lot of recognisable things in Ghost in the Shell. And it's a great movie as well. Genuinely one of the best animated movies you will ever see. The Iron Giant as well. Both The Iron Giant and Ghost in the Shell, two of the greatest animated movies ever made. Nothing like Transformers, but they're the closest to Transformers that I could think of. As always, give me feedback. Let me know if you thought I missed anything. The next episode. Now, I've never featured anything by this studio in the past. But the whole point of animation season is to try and introduce people to new animations, to animations that you probably wouldn't even think of. So this is a new addition to animation season for this Irish animation studio. And I've been a fan of Cartoon Saloon since I saw Song of the Sea, but I'm not covering Song of the Sea because it's Wolfwalkers that I really wanted to go into. Wolfwalkers is one of those movies that I don't think many people have actually seen. But I genuinely believe it's the best thing that Cartoon Saloon have ever done. So join me next episode for Wolfwalkers. It is a movie that is available here in the UK on Apple TV+. So if you want to grab a free trial to Apple TV+, you can watch Wolfwalkers. And I guarantee that you will adore this movie. It's so beautifully animated. This is a studio that is embracing traditional hand-drawn animation. Really unlike any other studio, I think. So I really, really wanted to do something with Cartoon Saloon and Wolfwalkers just really jumped out at me as something that I think a lot of people will enjoy. So join me next week and I'm going to be talking about Wolfwalkers. Just a quick note, I do have a Patreon for this podcast. You're under no obligation to join up. However, if you do want to support the show financially and you love what I do, It helps me so much. I've bought some fantastic software and new equipment in recent months, and it's all thanks to the amazing patrons of this podcast. And I'd like to thank them. So a huge thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama, to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, 
Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, and a huge welcome to brand new patron, Ian D. Ian has joined at the Duke Kaboom tier. We are thrilled to have him with us. The patrons of Verbal Diorama Light, our darkest hour. If you want to check out merch, it's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at verbaldiorama at gmail.com or you can pop over to the website, verbaldiorama.com. You can get links to all episodes there. You can find out a little bit more about me if you really, really want to. And the other place you can find me is filmstories.co.uk. I write for the magazine there. I also write for the website as well. And I'm also going to be appearing at Film Stories Live. It was supposed to be in December. It's now going to be, hopefully, fingers crossed, February of 2022. I'm going to be live on stage in Birmingham. And I will give some more information on social media as soon as I have that. And finally. You got the touch. You got the power. Bye. Movie should know.